Um, so we're having a little interlude this week, and we're going to look at 1 John chapter 5. Um, Sasha, do you want to read from the screen? I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, but God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Sin that leads to death. That's the title of today's sermon. Um, now, I've pulled up an old... <laughs> yeah, I always do stuff like this, don't I? <laughs> so I've pulled... Yeah, no needles. I pulled out an old sermon to talk about this week because this is a really interesting... Topic, And I just want to share, it's one of these passages in the Bible that's hard to understand and talk about it. I've talked about it once or twice before over the last 10 years, hopefully not to renew, although I think I did do this topic to Mosaic at night. So if you're hearing something you heard once before, bad luck. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. So you can see on the screen there's a diagram of the stomach with a small hole in it. That's a picture of an ulcer, a stomach ulcer. And uh, what the photograph up there shows is what it really looks like when you stick a camera down and, and take a photograph. These ulcers can be really bad. They can cause quite a lot of pain. You can have them and not notice, or you can have them and they can cause all sorts of terrible symptoms and pain. And they can even sometimes bleed, which can be pretty dangerous. Has anyone ever had a stomach ulcer? What did it feel like? Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah, they can happen anywhere along there. And you had one too, Talia, did you? Yeah, I had, I had stress ulcers. No way. How unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <clears throat> For most of the 20th century, in fact, doctors thought that stress causes these. Um, and they might cause a few of them. But, but doctors thought stress was the main cause. And they thought the stomach makes too much acid, the stress makes it worse, and then the, the uh, stomach ulcer forms. And so people that had these ulcers would be put on lifelong acid suppression medications and sometimes even have surgery to, to uh, cut out the, acid, the, the ulcer part. But these treatments often didn't work very well and the ulcers would just continue throughout someone's life or get worse or move spots. In the early 1980s, though, a new discovery was made by a couple of doctors in Perth a guy called Barry Marshall and his colleague John Warren. They were testing a patient with a peptic ulcer 
they cut out a small sample of his ulcer and uh, then sent it to the lab to see what, what would grow, if anything would grow in the laboratory. People had done this before. They had sent off samples of stomach ulcers to the lab before and nothing had ever grown. No bacteria had grown. Normally they, they wait a day or two, look down the microscope, no bacteria. So everyone thought they were just caused by stress. Now, it turned out that it was a double long weekend when this happened in Perth. And so instead of waiting two or three days to get back to the microscope to have a look, they got back six days after they'd put it in the culture media. And when they came back after that long, long weekend, they discovered that six days had been enough time for the bacteria there to divide to the point that you could actually see them visible. Here are some bacteria. <laughs> Those little, uh, yeah, red things. When Warren and Marshall saw this, it didn't make any sense to them. It was bizarre because bacteria aren't meant to be able to live in an acid environment. So how could bacteria live in the stomach? But as they thought about it, they figured it out. They realised it wasn't stress causing the ulcer. It was actually these bacteria causing the ulcer. Given that around the world, millions and millions of people suffer from peptic ulcers, stomach ulcers, it's a huge discovery to work out it's not stress, it's a bacterial infection. That was a huge discovery. And as they thought about it and this answer dawned on them, they started to write about it. They wrote about it in all the major journals, prepared talks, uh, to give medical conferences, <clears throat> and then something surprising happened. No one believed them. No one believed that bacteria could cause stomach ulcers. Doctors around the world, including in Australia, just laughed at them. They thought they were talking nonsense. Who would, you know, what would these two unheard of doctors know? How would they, uh, you know, how would they get it right when hundreds of years of medical experience hadn't shown this? That was the collective wisdom of generations of doctors around the world, that Barry, Marshall and John Warren were talking nonsense. So, what was to be done? In an attempt to prove that he was right, Barry Marshall resorted to something quite dramatic. He took a whole bunch of these bacteria in fluid and he drank them. And of course, he ended up with terrible stomach pains and inflammation of his stomach. His wife, Adrienne, was her name. She wasn't impressed. And this is, she's been quoted as saying this. That was a very Barry thing to have done. We had four young children. He was working 14 hours a day, seeing patients all day long, doing research at night. And now he was dreadfully ill. I told him it had to stop. <laughs> but even after this reckless course of action... Plenty of doctors still didn't believe Marshall. In fact, it took another 15 years before people really started to believe that bacteria are the main causes of stomach ulcers. And eventually, uh, these two men won a Nobel Prize because of it. But it took a long time to get there. There are just things in life, aren't there, that are difficult to understand. Like the story of the stomach ulcer. Some things don't make sense at first, and then once you do understand them, they're awkward and unpalatable to believe. And that's what today's Bible passage in 1 John 5 is similar to. It just doesn't seem to make much sense, does it? But it's got this message, once you understand it, that isn't going to be popular. Just like the story of stomach ulcers. <clears throat> when I first read 1 John 5, I found it a pretty confusing passage. The initial reaction is, what on earth is John talking about? It doesn't make any sense. 
what's this thing about sins that do lead to death and sins that don't lead to death? Most of us know the message of Christianity, don't we? People have sinned, turned their backs on God. The result of this is death. But here's the crucial point. God sent his son Jesus to die so that all our sins could be forgiven. That we could be reunited with God and receive everlasting life after death. In Romans, in the Bible, we read these words. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Psalm 103, Praise the Lord who forgives all of our sins. That message comes through loud and clear in the Bible, doesn't it? That although sin leads to death, Jesus has overcome that for us. And so all of our sins can be forgiven. Every single one can be forgiven. So that even though we die physically, we'll be resurrected and live forever, eternally. That's the message I see in the Bible when I read it. So what on earth then is the meaning of verse 16 which says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. What's going on here? Let's brainstorm some ideas. It's important to stop and think about difficult passages like this one. Is there something that we can do that can't be forgiven? Or is there nothing we can do that can't be forgiven? What do you reckon? someone who doesn't believe um, if, if I'm an unbeliever mm-hmm. and I don't want to believe and even when I hear the truth I still don't want to believe it yep. well what hope is there for me if I'm not a believer that's going to lead to spiritual death it's a good thought Yep. and those people that have believed and have changed their minds and decided they're just not going to go back there mm-hmm. another good thought Even though you might be sort of sorry about it, it's just the continuation of doing something without um, really making an attempt to stop. When you struggle against sin, that's when you know that you're fighting against it. But when there's just giving into it constantly and not really being repentant about it, just giving into it, and I think that's mm-hmm. where it's dangerous. Another good thought. Yep. Also, I did notice at the end of the passage that Sasha read, there could have been a little bit of a hint there in the last verse. Yep. Um, because when Paul tends to write, he does tend to do that. I forget what the actual wording was of the last verse. Don't let anything else take God's place in your heart. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I think that's like worshipping another, having something else be your God. Mm -hmm. That's probably the only unforgivable thing. Another good thought, yeah. Rejecting rejecting God's love, rejecting the Spirit. Yep. Isn't, Isn't it? Is there something in Corinthians about the rejection of the Holy Spirit? Or that's, yeah, that's in Matthew, that one. But there might be something in Corinthians too. Yeah, something in Corinthians. <coughs> yeah. But there's something about there that that's, that's one of the sins that can't be forgiven. Yeah. So, oh, really interesting thoughts. Anyone else want to share anything? 
It is. It is. It's to Christians. <clears throat> All right. So when trying to understand difficult passages in the Bible, for me it's important to start with the basic decision of faith that I made long ago, and I know most of you did too, that the Bible is God's word to us. It's his inspired word for people. It speaks to us about truth, about God, and about people. And so although something might seem weird or nonsensical, it isn't. Although something's hard to understand, it's worth trying to figure out the meaning because God is revealing truth in it. When I read this passage, I had to really think and pray about what it might mean. And once I started to look more carefully at the whole context surrounding the, the verse and the paragraph, a clearer picture began to emerge to me about what John meant. So a bit earlier in the chapter, John wrote about the key to being a child of God. Take a look at verse 1 in chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And then look a bit further at verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. That's the key to eternal life, knowing Jesus. In other words, the key to forgiveness is to know Jesus. So if we know Jesus... Whatever wrong we do is going to be forgiven by God. Whatever sin we commit is sin that doesn't lead to death. Being a faithful follower of Jesus brings forgiveness whatever sin has been committed. That's the good news that Jesus brought. So it's really true that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. It really is true that every sin can be forgiven when we put our faith in God and his forgiveness and we look to Jesus. But this good news of Jesus is also news that people don't want to hear. News that people might find unpleasant, might find unpalatable. Because according to the Bible, there's a flip side to eternal life through complete forgiveness and faithful following of Jesus. According to John, the flip side is death and unforgiveness for those who don't put their faith in Jesus and follow him. This is what John has written in verse 10. Those who don't believe in God's Son are actually calling God a liar. And in verse 12, whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. The key to eternal life is knowing Jesus. And so although it's hard to hear, the reverse, according to John, is that if we don't know Jesus, we don't have eternal life. If we don't recognise who Jesus is, we can't know him and we can't receive God's forgiveness. Not believing in Jesus, not accepting that he's come from God as God's son, not receiving him as he has revealed himself to us and putting our faith in him, that's the sin that leads to death. Not recognising the Son of God is actually a sin. This may be a bit surprising because we tend to think of sin as something active that we do. But actually not putting faith in Jesus is a sin. And in fact, it's the critical sin, the sin that leads to death. Sin that can't be forgiven, sin that leads to death. Jesus actually spoke about this too. Anyone can remember the story? where Jesus spoke about sin that couldn't be forgiven? 
going to remember that story. Someone mentioned it as we were chatting before. Is it one, if you deny the Father before me, I deny you. Oh, that's a good one. It's not what I was thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's a good one. I'll read it. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 12. Looking at verse 22 onwards. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. Jesus healed the man so that he could both see and speak. The crowd were amazed and asked, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Then skipping down a little bit to verse 28. I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God. If I'm casting out demons, yeah, I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God. Then the kingdom of God has arrived among you, Jesus said. For who's powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. So Jesus also spoke about this sin that couldn't be forgiven. I was wondering what was happening in the background there, Malcolm. I saw this scrolling happening. Jesus speaks about this sin that can't be forgiven. And that's another controversial passage in the Bible where people debate about what it means. I'm pretty sure, though, Jesus was speaking about the same thing that John wrote about. So what was it that the Pharisees did that was so wrong and wasn't forgivable? Their own words in verse 24 reveal it. They said, Jesus gets his power from Satan. The Pharisees who spoke those words didn't recognize who Jesus was. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. They didn't recognize him as God's son who had come to heal. That was their sin. That's where they went wrong. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's when we ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit, who's pleading with us to believe in God the Son. It's when we ignore that, that it's unforgivable. It's when we refuse to meet and follow our Creator, who's come down to earth to meet us so that we can know Him. That's when we can't be forgiven. If we refuse to meet and follow Him, how can we receive His forgiveness and His eternal life that He's trying to give us? We can't receive a gift if we won't accept it. So sometimes the Bible contains these words that don't seem to make much sense. But it's worth persisting to try to understand what they mean because they're God's words. Unfortunately, sometimes when we finally do understand them, it actually makes things harder because the words are difficult to accept. They're awkward to hear. They're things we don't want to hear. And particularly in our culture today, there's nothing worse to hear, nothing more awkward to listen to than to these words of 1 John about sins that lead to death. So if you sat here today and felt awkward with these words, 
especially if you're, a Christian, you're not a Christian, can I say thank you? Thanks for being willing to actually listen to something that's awkward and hard to hear. I know these words are difficult, but I'm compelled to speak them because I want to accurately reflect what the Bible says. Despite the grating nature of these words, can I ask a favour? Can you think about these words written by John and ask yourself, what if these words were written by God himself, by the hand of a man? What if these are God's words to me? If you can ask yourself that question, something positive can come. There's a glimmer of hope. Because if these words are true, if I decide to put my faith in Jesus as God's son and follow him, then I will receive that gift that's greater than anything else in the world, the gift of everlasting life. And that's worth it. It's worth thinking about at least, isn't it? And for people here who are Christians, if we're faithfully following Jesus, this passage in 1 John is actually meant to give us encouragement. It can reassure us that we are children of God. We've been forgiven. You've been forgiven no matter what you've done. No matter what wrong thing you've done, God has forgiven you. And he will forgive you for the things you continue to do that are wrong. Look at what John wrote in verse 13. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You've received forgiveness. You've received eternal life. And that's something to be really confident in. We don't need to doubt it. We do need to heed the warning. The final words that John wrote in verse 21 are a warning. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Otherwise, keep away from That's how it's translated in other versions. Yep. The only thing that can take away God's place in your heart is if you stop putting your faith in Jesus. So don't let the pursuit of anything else take away your pursuit of following Jesus all the days of your life. We can't let the pursuit of anything else overtake that pursuit for Jesus. We can each fill in the gap for ourselves. What sort of things am I in danger of pursuing at the expense of following Jesus? Whatever it is for you, don't let that overtake Jesus in your heart. Because it's when we lose faith in Jesus that we're committing the sin that leads to death. We need to continually be reminded to hold on to our faith. But let's also hold on to that reassurance that John's given us. We are children of God. God will hold on to us. John wanted to remind us of that. That's why he wrote, I've written this to you so that you may know you have eternal life. So keep that promise written in your hearts.